Overwhelming. Thank you. <laughs> well, God bless you. Thank you for coming uh, to New Day Community Church. Thank you for being part of our congregation. Uh, glad you, you're here this morning. And uh, excited to, to continue the Sermon on the Mount series. Um, one thing I do want to uh, uh, just, just kind of encourage or exhort you with, you know the song, not the last song, but the second to the last song, the chorus was, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. Indeed, how many sang that? How many meant it? Yeah, come on. I mean, really, when you think about that, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. That is a dangerous prayer. Alright? Well, that's, that's a good prayer. You know, I, I just encourage you, let's, let's mean that. That we really want the fire of God to burn in our soul. Something that we can't contain. Something that is, out, that is beyond us. Outside of the realm of our own power. And, and that it transforms. You know, two weeks ago, <clears throat> I and the rest of the team that went to Turkey, we were in a church in, in it's now called Izmir, but in the Bible it was called Smyrna. And it's one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation that John, John writes to. <clears throat> and so, uh, uh, this church is located in the region uh, actually, the, the province that we were in had all seven of those churches. And so it, it was, for nearly a thousand years, possibly over a thousand years, the center of Christianity. <clears throat> and now, today, there are virtually no Christians in that nation. Right? Turkey is, is 99.8% Muslim, and, and the, and the 0.2% that are Christian are mostly foreigners. The pastor exhorted, he said... Uh, when he shared, he said they estimate that there's only 5,000 uh, believers in the entire nation of Turkey. I don't know what the population of Turkey is, but, but Istanbul itself was close to 17 million. And there's only 5,000 believers. Izmir, the city he was in, was, was like 3 or 4 million. But there's only 5,000 in the whole nation. And so what happened, this place that, you know, we, we traveled throughout the country and in many, many places we saw uh, former churches that had paintings of Jesus and Mary and, and the cross everywhere. Um, but they were museums. Oh. You know, a place that was once the center of Christianity is now desolate of Christianity. Uh, and I'm telling you, it's, it's having the fire of God in our souls. Fire that we can't contain is what prevents that from happening. Alright? It's happening in the U.S. And it's happening in that the influence of the church, the influence of the gospel is diminishing. But listen, the government's not going to change that. <laughs> and even institutionalized churches, you know, we as a church function and we, we work and, and all the churches together are doing whatever we can to do it. But ultimately... What makes a difference is, is you. It's when you as an individual allows and invites the fire of God's presence into your heart so that you're different. <clears throat> and so this church in Izmir, where uh, uh, the, the people, if they become a believer, they actually lose, most often lose their job, their family disowns them. But they have people joining constantly. They had, uh, they say every, they do services every day and they have several people walking off the street every day. 
They give out a thousand Bibles a month. Wow. You can't hand out the Bible, but if you shut the Bible on outside of their door on, a, on, a, on the windowsill, people just take them. <clears throat> and the difference, you know, uh, I think, or actually the, the worship was pretty powerful. We went to the worship service, it was powerful, wasn't it? And afterwards, I had lunch with the pastor and I said, man, that was great worship, it was powerful. And they said, really, you think so? Actually, it was kind of lame. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, man. He says, we're kind of in a lull right now. Usually, it's way more intense. The Holy Spirit shows up and God just... He says, usually, close to half the people will fall down because the, the power of God is so present in the service that they can't stay standing. I'm like, no kidding. You know, Mitko is with us uh, as a pastor of a church in Bulgaria. He says, wow, we're just pretending <laughs> in our churches. But one of the reasons is because the cost that they have to pay to be, to be Christians there is so high. And there's a direct connection between the cost. And in and, 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 and America, it's easy. Uh, and that's probably our biggest risk, is that it's, it's, it's almost too easy. We can be a Christian... And then go back into the world and it almost doesn't make that big of a difference because it's easy. But the cost is so great. So I challenge you, and I've been challenged. It's one of the, for the mission trip and one of the things we encourage missions is because is it challenges us to, to live differently. This kind of ties into the message that I'm uh, teaching on as we continue to go through the Sermon on the Mount series. And this series, unlike our other series where normally we limit it to four to six weeks, we're just taking our time going through the passage known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' uh, uh, vision statement for His kingdom. So it's a, it's a, it covers all of the, uh, not all, but it covers a wide range of the aspects of, of the kingdom of God from Jesus' perspective. So you get an understanding of what Jesus expects His kingdom to look like and what He expects His followers, His disciples to live like. And up until this point in the, in this uh, teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, He's been contrasting, um, Kingdom living with the negative examples of the hypocrites. So if you remember, he would contrast, don't, don't pray like the hypocrites, uh, don't do good works like, like the hypocrites just for show. And he went through a, a whole series of things, uh, contrasting that example. Now he kind of changes directions, and in the words of a commentator on this section, um, uh, Jesus focuses on a more direct and positive presentation of the true disciples' attitudes. The greater Righteousness, which is going to make the disciples more conspicuous than other men. If we were early back in the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> Jesus said that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will you'll not even enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, uh, from comparing the uh, lives of the disciples to the example of the hypocrites, he's now saying this. Now going on to things that. Uh, 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 lifestyle behaviors and choices that we can exceed uh, our righteousness can go beyond. So that's what we're going to tap into. And the point is so that our, our life, our, our, the kingdom aspect of our life needs to be conspicuous. How many can say the word conspicuous? Conspicuous. conspicuous. I like using unique words. So what does conspicuous mean? Out there. Out there. Catch me up. Huh? Obvious. Yeah. So, as disciples, we are to be out there. We are to be obvious. Alright? Kingdom character should make us stand out. Did Jesus stand out in the crowd? <clears throat> yeah, everywhere He went. He drew attention to Himself. Why? Because He lived in the kingdom. And Jesus says, being a disciple 
is following me, living like me. So if Jesus stood out, we should stand out too. Alright? That is implicit in living a kingdom lifestyle is that you're, you're going you're gonna to behave differently. You're going to be conspicuous in your kingdom living. Kingdom distinction, living distinctly a kingdom lifestyle prevents kingdom extinction. Alright? And that's true personally as well as corporately. In other words, if you don't, if, if the attributes and the character of kingdom living isn't distinct in your life, they're going to wane away. They're going to they're going to waste away. You're going to be unless you unless you intentionally make kingdom living obvious. It's going to be real easy for those aspects of your life to be less and less uh, um, uh, significant and, and eventually to, to, to not even be part of your life. And that's what happens in, uh, historically in places where the influence of Christianity wanes, not only on an individual level, but on a corporate level. I've seen in churches where uh, churches uh, lose their distinction and they try to be more and more like the world to the point where they are the world. <laughs> you know, and, and they're no longer a church; they're just a club, uh, and, it, and it happens in societies as, as well. So we want to live a life that's distinctly Christian. So this is the, past, the part of the uh, sermon that we're going to talk through this morning, verse um, 19 through 24 of chapter six. Jesus says, "Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal." But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will uh, hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So that's the passage we're going to talk through. Jesus contrasts earthly treasures with heavenly treasures. Jesus is giving His disciples, He's giving us a kingdom perspective on materialism. Alright? Materialism is a very significant issue in our world. So he's giving us the kingdom perspective on materialism. And then he gives two illustrations. Uh, first regarding eyes and light. And the second regarding serving two masters. And those illustrations uh, illustrate or uh, uh, help us understand the point that he's making. And he commands us. His disciples are not to lay up. And that... that that uh, those words uh, translated layup means to store up, to amass, or to reserve treasures on uh, earth. But rather, instead of doing that, uh, in the kingdom, the kingdom value is to store up, amass, and reserve treasures in heaven. Because earthly wealth is consumed. Moths eat clothing. Uh, at least they used to before. Most clo- most clothing now is made out of plastics. <laughs> Moths aren't that big. If you have a wool jacket, uh, you have to keep them. Uh, and then the word rust could literally be uh, translated uh, eating. It's just it's just a consuming. There's a there's Jesus saying you know there's just a, a, a consuming nature within the world that no matter what it is, it's going to get eaten in one way or another. <clears throat> the word destroy. 
means to render unapparent, to consume, uh, to disappear, uh, to corrupt, disfigure, perish, or just vanish. But whatever you have, uh, it's going to break. Kind of a while back, a number of years ago, you know, I'd buy something, I'd buy something brand new because I didn't want someone else's junk, right? And then, then it would break. I'm like, oh, I gotta fix it. And, and for a while it just frustrated me. Everything I, I had to fix this and I had to fix this, constantly fixing stuff. And I just came to a realization, you know, if you own it, you have to fix it. <laughs> you haven't realized that yet. This is just a word of wisdom. Just get, get, just accept this truth. If you own it, you have to fix it. And that's because it's part of the world system. It's part of, uh, you know, uh, decay process. That is this natural. And that applies to everything in the world. Everything that is earthly. Okay? Everything that is tied to this, this, uh, this world system. <clears throat> in one way or another, it's going to be eaten or consumed. It's going to break. It's going to, uh, 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 in some way, perish. But heavenly things don't. Or, yeah, if it doesn't break down, someone would steal it. And guess what? Someone's <laughs> a good example. A good example. Someone stole my camper. Can you believe it? My camper setting out in this parking lot. It's been there for years. We use it all the time. Actually, used it a lot this summer. And I pulled in the church on on Tuesday, and I looked back there and thought, "Where did I put my camper? Because it wasn't there." I'm like, "It's supposed to be there." And the wheel stop is still there, and the camper is gone. I was like. Well, son of a gun. Someone took my camper. Hey, Kathy, someone stole our camper. Can you believe it? Called the police. And they're like, really? <laughs> it's like, well, that was pretty blatant. <laughs> like, so, <clears throat> yeah, thieves come and say, I once preached on in Peter where it says, uh, don't be uh, surprised when fiery trials come upon you. This is years ago, about 15 years ago. Uh, I preached a sermon on that. The next day, my car, which only had one payment left, it only had 50,000 miles on it. I was so excited I was going to have a car paid off that only had 50,000 miles on it. And the payment was only $50. Oh, wow. All right. And it, and it caught fire and burned. I have never preached on that passage since. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I don't know, maybe that the camera got stolen just so I could talk about it during this sermon. But whatever you want on earth, no matter how much you value it, it's, it's going to disappear somewhere. All right? It's simply wasting away. But heavenly treasure is different. And this is the point Jesus wants us to understand. Uh, and He's using the, He's comparing two things. He's comparing earthly treasure with heavenly treasure. We understand earthly treasure because our whole life is surrounded by earthly treasure. And He's helping us uh, to understand heavenly treasures. There's another aspect of this series is to give you little tips and hints on how to interpret Scripture. And so here we have a comparison Look for comparisons in Scripture. They're used throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament, where there's a comparison between two things. Heavenly treasure is different than earthly treasure. It's impervious to natural death and decay, and it's the only treasure that nobody can steal. You know, no one can pull up with a pickup truck and chain your, uh, your heavenly treasure uh, to the back of their pickup and drive away. No, 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 no 
there's no Bernie Madoff in, in the spiritual realm that can, can drain your heavenly bank account. All right? It's the only form that's safe, <clears throat> only form of treasure that's really, truly safe. So this theme, there's a theme running throughout the uh, Sermon on the Mount on the interplay between on heaven and in earth. <clears throat> Remember in the prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And even before that, there were <clears throat> references to our, our reward with God So in, in the heavenly places. So all through the kingdom, this is a major theme. And again, as a tip for Bible study, Look for themes in scriptures because books have particular themes, chapters have particular themes, sub chapter subheadings have themes, and when you understand the theme, you can understand what he's really talking about. So, a big theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount is this interplay between things on earthly realm and the things in the heavenly realm. And it's very important that we understand that in heaven does not mean after death. Okay? It doesn't mean that. It means with God. And most people think, they automatically interpret this verse that uh, we're to lay up uh, treasures in heaven so that when we get to heaven, we'll have treasure or we'll have a, a bigger mansion or we'll have a nicer place in heaven. That's not what Jesus is talking about. The Bible does say in different places that how we uh, use our stuff and how we live our life on this earth will affect and determine our reward in heaven, in the afterlife, okay, in the resurrection. But Jesus is not talking about the resurrection here. He's actually talking about living life now. How to live the kingdom of God today. Does this make sense? Alright? <clears throat> so, in heaven, when, that, when Jesus used that phrase, in heaven, He's not talking about the condition that you will experience after you die and Jesus comes back and you're raised from the dead. He's talking about in uh, the heavenly realm or with God. So, store up treasures with God. Alright? Store up treasures in the heavenly realm. So he's not merely talking about afterlife. I said that uh, he's talking about heavenly treasures, and those heavenly treasures are available to us here and now. And this is a really important part that you need to understand from this message, and and why preaching this message and talking only about how it affects your afterlife misses the whole point. Because Jesus is not talking about the afterlife; he's talking about life, now life. Not afterlife. Jesus is contrasting our relationship with material things, material goods, stuff, connected to this earth, and a relationship with heavenly things. <clears throat> so let's just think about this uh, comparison and con uh, contrast a little bit. If you suddenly uh, had a, a major increase in your natural uh, wealth, would it make a change in your life? Yes. <laughs> yeah? You know... <clears throat> I got an app on my phone that if I had money in my bank, and you had this app, I could transfer any amount of money directly into your bank account. So I'm just going to pull up my PayPal account. What if I just uh, picked, uh, picked, Israel puts his hands up. <laughs> I picked you and just say, I think I'm just going to give the beans a, mil a million dollars. Boom. Would it change your life? You don't, he, I'm not sure. I am. It would change his life. <laughs> There's some things that it wouldn't change. But you know what? 
I've read stories about people that have won the lottery, you know, and they, they live the same for a while. Actually, I just heard a story, uh, a guy who did it right and invested it all and kept working in his job for as long as he could but until all the other people, they got out that he was now this multimillionaire and they started treating him differently and that's why he had to quit his job, all right? But you think about it. <clears throat> it, it the limitations that you have you know, you're driving a broken down car and you have so much money in the bank that you could walk in and pay cash for a brand new car. You know what? You'd give your broken car away and you'd buy a new car. Wouldn't you? It would, it would affect the car you drive. I think we could say that. You know, if, you, uh, <clears throat> if, you're, if your dish, dishwasher is broke, and you had a million. Oh, let's just let's change a million dollars. Let's, let's make let's add zeros. Zero zero zero. So I just I put a billion dollars in the Sears account. Thank you. <laughs> they'll tie. You, they'll tie. <laughs> It'll change your life and my life. Praise Jesus. Come on. It'll change your life, wouldn't it? Just think how much you could give away. Wow. How about Christmas? <laughs> all the stuff you want to buy your kids you can do it you may have wisdom and not buy them everything but the, the point is is that if you had you know I actually I actually know some millionaires <clears throat> I know a number of them and there's something about them that is different even the people that don't know that they're wealthy can pick up on this person has influence they, they walk into a room differently alright just because they have Material affluence. You have no fear. Yeah, she said there, there's no fear, uh, <clears throat> and uh, so it changes their outlook on life. It changes the way they operate. It changes how you think. If you don't understand this, read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. It talks about uh, changing your perspective on, on 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 money by understanding how wealthy people think. Well, Jesus is saying that is, those same dynamics apply with heavenly treasures. All right? Now, if it's true that I, if I had, I know one thing, if I had a million dollars in my bank account, my life would be totally different. All right? Totally different. You know, I could do, I could do, you know, so much more. I wouldn't take a salary from the church until the church could do so much more with that money. I could, I could go on a lot more mission trips. <laughs> you know, I could take my kids with me on every one of my mission trips. I'd love that. I could take random people with me to Disney World. I would love that. All right, really, it's a fantasy of mine. All right, so I, I, I know I'd do a lot of things. Okay, so let's translate that into, that's the familiar to the unfamiliar, which is the spiritual world. What if you had an unlimited amount of heavenly resources? We do. Yeah, we do. But Jesus says, actually, you have to store it up. It's not automatic. If it was automatic, Jesus wouldn't say, store up for you. Don't just store up for yourself earthly treasure but store up lay up for yourself heavenly treasures invest into kingdom things not so you can enjoy it after you're dead but so that you have access now to heavenly revenue alright so just like earthly revenue can affect earthly change Okay, natural revenue can affect natural change. We can buy stuff. We can we can uh, 
excavate, we can build buildings with natural revenue. Spiritual revenue can affect spiritual change. Alright? Spiritual transformation. So if you have a spiritual need in your life and you have stored up through righteous living, through right relationship with God, through investing in the things of the kingdom, you can reach up into heaven. You can access your spiritual ATM. Right? P-R-A-Y-E-R is your passcode. Prayer. Come on. You know how you receive in the kingdom? How do you receive? Huh? Ask. Yes! Ask and you shall receive. Alright? So that's all you have to do. And you can download. If you're lacking faith, if you're struggling with doubt, you can access that. If you're struggling with sickness and you need health, supernatural impartation of strength and health, you can access that. If there's, if there's uh, you know, any spiritual lack, in your life or in the circumstance that you are in, you should be able to access. If you've stored up, Jesus is saying this is how we need to think of spiritual revenue, spiritual treasures, and that that is a priority in our life over the, uh, uh, over storing up natural priorities. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Alright. So how can we obey these two commands? How can we lay up treasures for ourselves, not lay up earthly treasures, and lay up for ourselves heavenly treasures? Does it mean we don't save for retirement? Does it mean we, we take a vow of poverty? How many want to take a vow of poverty? How many feel they already have taken a vow of poverty? <laughs> how many need to renounce the vow of poverty? It actually is a... It's a curse. It's a it's a spirit, <clears throat> a spirit of poverty um, that comes on people. So you think in a poverty spirit, you need to renounce that. God wants us to be rich in every way. It says that in Scripture, but not to focus on that. I'll get that in a minute. Um, is Jesus saying we should give all our money away? Actually, no. He's talking about our loyalty. And verse 21 makes it clear. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's the key verse in this passage. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is the most valuable in your life? Commentator says, it is not so much the disciples' wealth that Jesus is concerned with as His loyalty. So Jesus is talking about a person's loyalty. Materialism is in direct conflict with loyalty to God. And the danger of amassing possessions is that these treasures will command the disciples' loyalty. The material affluence will breed materialism. Okay? Our culture is really consumed with consumerism. It's to the point where it's actually difficult to recognize it. You can't recognize how much every aspect of our life uh, it just revolves around stuff and getting stuff and thinking about getting stuff. It's it's really obsessed. And Jesus is challenging that obsession. The thing is, it's not unique to our culture. It's actually a, it's not an American problem. It's a human problem. Right? Because Jesus was talking to people who didn't have cars. They had donkeys, right? If they were wealthy. They had sandals. And it was still a problem back then. It's a problem in every culture because it's a human issue. <clears throat> Challenging the obsession of being, uh, of, of being obsessed and having our loyalty in material things as opposed to God. And he's asking the question, can we not only find God in the midst of all the stuff 
of life, but can we actually make our relationship with God and heavenly matters, our relationship with God and the things of heaven, heavenly matters, heavenly issues, okay, spiritual issues, uh, um, more important than every other thing that competes for our attention? And that's not an easy answer, folks. If you think that's easy, you don't understand it. Because our life is just... So much of life has to deal with just getting stuff to get by. And there's a necessity. The Bible says if a man doesn't provide for his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we're not saying that stuff is unimportant. It's very important. But it's not to consume our loyalty. That's not where our heart should be. That's That's not our real treasure. It's like when that camper, well, I was disappointed that the camper was stolen because it's a lot of family memories that we've had in there and future memories that we could have. But in one sense, I'm like, oh well, I won't have to fix that anymore. <laughs> Every year I'd have to fix something on the camper. I'm like, anyway. <laughs> so another thing, it's a trap to think that only wealthy people get you're caught by this. A poor person can be just as materialistic and obsessed with possessions he or she doesn't have as a rich person can be with the, the things that he or she does have. But if, even if you're homeless on, your, on the street, their primary problem may be materialism, believe it or not. It's a condition that affects all of us. Because what's at issue is our heart, not our stuff. Your heart. Where is your heart? Not just your stuff. That's what Jesus is. Then he makes two uh, uh, illustrations. I'll try to get through these quickly because we're running out of time. The first one, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now to you and I, that might sound like, what? I thought he was talking about materialism. And and I was talking about eyes and light. That doesn't make any sense at all. Well, it may not in our language, but in Jesus' language and the people Jesus was talking about, they knew exactly what that meant and how it related to materialism and possessions. Because a single eye, if your eye is good, a good eye was a term that they would use to describe someone who was free of distraction. Okay, they did. They were focused, and they had the right priorities. And they had good priorities. It was it was healthy and wholesome. And so Jesus is saying, if your eye is good, if your priorities are right, then your whole life will be good. And he's comparing it. If your if your priority is heavenly treasure, then your whole life is going to be full of light. And the term evil eye in 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 the, in the Jewish culture was specifically referred to someone who was stingy, jealous, or selfish. And so if you say, oh, Uncle Rich is such a, has such an evil eye, it'd be like us saying, oh, Uncle Rich is such a Scrooge. Right? Now, if you weren't part of our culture, and I said someone was a Scrooge, you'd go, what? What is a Scrooge? That doesn't make any sense at all. Alright? But that's what evil eye means in the Jewish culture. It means someone that was stingy. Someone was a tightwad. A tightwad? What is a tightwad? Well, it's someone who doesn't like to give away money. And so Jesus is comparing the two. Um, someone who has a, the right priorities versus someone who just wants to grab hold and, and hang on to their own possessions. And so it made perfect sense uh, for Jesus, uh, Jesus, the people that Jesus was listening to. And if you just study the Scripture a little bit, it's really easy to see how that illustration 
uh, make sense that your whole life is affected by what you set your eyes on uh, because it lights up, a good eye lights up your whole uh, life. And the second illustration, oh, I already went through that. The second illustration is, now if one, uh, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Wow. This is another example that would have been really obvious to Jesus' hearers because the word serve that he uses is literally a slave of. Okay? A person can have two employers, but he cannot have two owners. Alright? And Jesus was talking, that word in, in that context meant a slave. <clears throat> and so in his day, the illustration would almost have, everyone would have chuckled. You know, someone can't have two sl- owners. And the reason they would have chuckled is because some of those people listening to Jesus were slaves. Because slavery was common in that culture. And some of them were slave owners. You know? And so, they go, of course somebody can't have two owners. That's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous idea. Alright? They understood it very clearly. But Jesus takes that, under, that, that statement or that illustration that they understood very clearly and applies it to a timeless issue. And that's the issue of our loyalty with God uh, versus our loyalty to possessions. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is a general term. And the reason they use mammon, that's a a transliteration where they take a, a word out of the original language and put it in an English Bible because no English word quite translates the fullness of what that word means. Okay? Uh, another example of that is baptized. Baptismo is a, is a Greek word because there wasn't an English word that really means the fullness of it. So mammon is possessions or treasure or wealth and it can mean confidence because so many people put their confidence in the stuff that they own. They find their confidence. So God, uh, Jesus is saying you cannot serve both. Jesus boils down this struggle that humanity has faced uh, throughout all time, uh, this struggle between loyalty to God, loyalty to spiritual things, and loyalty to possessions, and says there's a direct competition between God and stuff. Think about this in your life. Don't think about other people's stuff. Think about all of your stuff. And it doesn't matter if half the stuff is broke. <laughs> Alright? It's still your stuff. Is it really competing with your loyalty? And if so, how are you going to change that? Uh, the result is, you'll, uh, uh, you'll love one. If you try to, to serve both stuff and God, the end, will be, the end result is you're going to hate one and love the other. You're going to be loyal to one and, and not loyal to the other because that's what heart, that's how it boils down into the heart uh, issue and the heart action. The question is, do you own your possessions or do they own you? Right? Do you spend more time and energy serving those earthly things or investing in heavenly treasures? And, and, and what does that look like? You know, it's going to be different for each one of you. And you have to figure that out. How can you invest in heavenly treasures? How can you limit uh, your investment in earthly treasures without, you know, being uh, silly? Um, do you see with good eyes everything uh, earthly from a heavenly point of view? All right? 
Do you see your stuff, the things that the, the money and the and the stuff that God's entrusted you with into how it fits into a heavenly mindset. How can you use your stuff to, to, to enable God's kingdom to come and His will to be done in your life and the life of those people you can affect? How can your car be used that way? How can your house be used that way? How can the stuff in your garage be used that way? How can your bank account? So that's, having, that's taking material stuff, which is not evil in itself. It's actually a gift. It's all good things from, come from uh, God above. Everything's a gift. How can we use this gift for a heavenly purpose? Because our loyalty is in, in heaven. Our loyalty is with God. And Jesus doesn't mention tithing here. But I'll guarantee you that everybody in His audience was thinking this. Jesus doesn't have to mention things uh, that are obvious, just like a speaker in, 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 in any culture, if it's an obvious implication and he's talking about finances, everybody in that culture was familiar with tithing. And so he's, he's pushing the point. But it's not common in our culture, and so I have to be more explicit about it. Uh, tithing is the antidote. Tithing is giving a, a percentage of your, of your income to God. And uh, the Bible commands us to give 10%. And um, actually, some people say, well, that was in the Old Testament. That just reveals that they don't understand the Old Covenant. Because the Old Covenant, actually, it was about between 23 and 25% if you add up all of the mandatory offerings that they were required. Uh, in addition to the tithe, it was almost 25% of a person's income. Um, so when I talk about tithing, the full... Uh, uh, explanation, if you want to hear it, you have to go back and listen to my series back from November because I took a, a whole month and went into, into depth. And we have a brochure as well. Uh, I'm not teaching on tithing. I just want to tie this in because tithing is really the antidote to materialism and consumerism. It is a powerful force that when you live in a way that you give a proportion of your income automatically to God, it forces you uh, to live in a way that caps the influence of materialism in your life. All right, <clears throat> it's also like a vaccine that keeps your eye good. All right, and uh, and and healthy and your body full of life. Um, tithing in the Old Testament uh, predated the law. So it wasn't replaced when uh, when the old covenant was replaced by, the, or actually the old covenant wasn't replaced. It was fulfilled by the new covenant because tithing goes back to Abraham. It was part of the promise, uh, part of the relationship that Abraham had with God. And uh, again, you can listen to the series to find all that out. So the fact is that God has used this simple measure for thousands and thousands of years to test, but also to teach. Because if, if you talk to someone that lives a lifestyle of tithing, uh, they'll have testimonies. Countless people have testimonies of God providing. Even though it's difficult at times, God providing and, and, and what it does to our hearts as we're faithful. <clears throat> if we cannot set aside 10%, which I believe is clearly laid out throughout Scripture and, and over a period of thousands of years and has been practiced for 2,000 years of church history, which is a very important aspect whenever you consider a doctrinal issue is how has the church handled this for 2,000 years? And the truth is, the church has taught it for 2,000 years. If you can't do that, how can you really say you're not serving mammon and possessions? That's the bottom line, isn't it? You know? 
and that, that's why that, that's why it still exists because materialism still exists consumerism still exists and it's a test of our loyalty of our heart God isn't interested in our money God's interested in our heart alright did you hear that I'm not teaching this because I'm interested in your money I'm teaching this because Jesus taught it and he's concerned about our loyalty our heart so that uh, the point the the whole point of it is is that proportional giving God teaches that if we give a proportion he returns to us exponential return it's an investment that we can count on and Jesus tackled the issue of materialism uh, by uh, revealing that it's really about who's the master of our life is it God or is it stuff and I just want to close I know we're over a little bit but I'm going to pray two things so if you join with me in prayer you just close your eyes um you know, I don't want to belittle people and in any way because many of us struggle with uh, material needs. And so if, if you have a material need, and if you're in, in need of a new car, if you're in need of a new job, if you're in need of seeing debts paid off, uh, if you're in need of a raise, you know, I just want to bless that. And God is very concerned with your the, you having the material finances that you need to provide for yourself and your family. So, Father, we just hold these needs up. If you have a need, just think of it in your mind and hold it before the Lord as I pray. Lord, bless each and every one here. And we just pray a breakthrough, Father. Financial breakthrough. Father, material breakthrough. Father, if there's things that are broken down in, 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 in these folks' lives, Lord, we pray that You would provide. If, if they've had stuff stolen, like I've had stuff stolen, Lord, or broken down, Lord, that You would redeem it, that You would restore it. Lord, that we trust You with our stuff. And I just pray a blessing on everyone's life in that area, in Jesus' name. And then secondly, Father, I pray that our minds would be renewed so that we would see money, we see finances, we see resources from a heavenly perspective. Lord, help us understand. Help us get past this blind spot so that we can honor You, so that our heart, our treasure is heavenly far more than it is earthly. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Alright, so they have some announcements. Uh, these two guys. The Sears. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Cameron. And